sometimes worship doesn't get any better than that. And, you know, next Sunday we're talking about heaven, but it seems like we had just a little bit of heaven today. Give God a hand of praise in this house, church family. Well, you know this month that we have been discussing this series, I've almost seen it all. And uh, in that, we <clears throat> looked at some things. We talked about how, you know, we never thought again we would be back to the place that we're having to defend Scripture again. And we looked at that on the very first Sunday in the month of August. And not that we have to reteach or preach the inerrancy of Scripture, but even more primal than that, that we have to reteach again and preach in the all sufficiency of Scripture. Not only is the Bible inerrant, inspired, and infallible, but that it is all sufficient. What does that mean? That it's still sufficient today. Not only when it was written thousands of years ago, not only when Jesus walked and talked with us, but it is still sufficient just as it was then. It is still sufficient today, and it will be sufficient even when we are with Him in glory. So, it is, it is all sufficient. We uh, looked at lying and plagiarism and how that is just rampant everywhere. But not only that, but uh, in our own denomination, we are seeing our leaders lie and plagiarize things that do not belong to them and then taking, that as their, uh, taking those ideas or those statements as, it, as if it belonged to them. Uh, not even giving credit where credit is due. And then last Sunday we looked at, very lengthy, uh, about the role of a pastor. And the reason I prefaced it and preached to, it, preached to you the way I did was to show you exactly what Scripture says, what the role of a pastor is, and who is to hold that office. And so I wanted to give it to you in a positive context instead of a thou shalt not, but this is how you do it. If you understand that, say Amen. Uh, that's the reason why I did that. Now, today is the one I'm sure you've all been waiting for. Uh, we are going to talk about critical race theory and what that means and where this idea comes from and, and then how does the Bible refute this. And so, on the screen before you, you have critical race theory, CRT versus NCRT. Some of you are thinking, what does NCRT mean? Man, I'm glad you asked. You're just going to have to hold on for just a moment before we get to that. Not only is it critical race theory, but there's another letter you need to add there. It's the letter I, which is intersectionality. And we will, we will talk about that in, in just a moment. These are terms, and you probably haven't heard of intersectionality all that much. If you have, you maybe have heard it in passing, but it is there. So with all that said and preface, let, let's get in here. So think about our lives in which we live. Uh, there are always or there is always a new gadget to buy, like a new chef-o-matic or an isomatic or something omatic that is supposed to make your life better. If you understand that, say amen. There's always a new gadget to buy, a new cell phone, a new iPad, a new car, a new this, a new that. There's always something, it seems to, that is better to buy. But the problem with it is, is that sometimes the, the newest and best thing is not necessarily the best thing. Sometimes, uh, what? well, let me back up. As they tell you that the new thing is the best thing, they'll tell you that the old thing is antiquated, it is outdated, uh, you can't get any more updates on it, it doesn't work all that well. But just because it's new and shiny doesn't mean it's the best. Sometimes it's just good just to kind of knock the dust off what we already have 
And that works better than the new thing. And that is exactly where we are in our culture today. Those who are the elites, and when I'm talking about the elites, I'm really talking about those in academia, those in, in college and university, places of influence. They have been teaching and telling students, people of business and industry for years, that the way that we have conducted business, the way that we have educated, even the way that we have lived our lives, no longer is sufficient but insufficient. And that now they are telling us, because they want to tell us that there are certain people out there who are marginalized because they cannot get ahead in their lives. The problem with what they are teaching today is that we have the solution for you. However, the solution that they give gives no solution at all, but leads to more problems, more resentment, and more heartache than before. At the issue of this, there are those who have and those who do not have, and those who do not have want from those who do have, and take from them what they think, or the people who don't have, take from them from the people who do have, and there's a list, and that belongs to me. But at the end of the day, and in the final analysis and calculus, someone is left holding the bill. So with all that stated, let's talk about critical race theory. Number one on your outline is what is CRT? What is critical race theory? Let me give you a book. You need to buy it. Uh, Bodhi Bauckham, he is one of our brothers in our denomination. He is African-American. He actually does not live in the United States anymore. He is actually living in Africa, and he is actually the president of a biblical Christian university there. Vody this year released a new book titled Fault Lines. Fault Lines. You, you need to buy it. You need to get it. You need to read it. He's a really good author. He breaks down very hard concepts to make them easily understandable, i.e. for your pastor. And uh, that was funny. Uh, whatever. Uh, but anyways, he gives you these complex ideas so that you will understand what they mean and you can wrap your head around now, I'm going to give you Vody's definition for critical race theory. It's not his own definition that he came up with, but that he took it from a paper from the Public Affairs Office of the University of California, Los Angeles, UCLA, which we all know is the bastion of liberalism. So, from their own paper, and you can actually go online, pull it up, and actually pull down the actual PDF file and actually get the document in hand yourself. So, what I did in order not to have to retype the definition, I just copied and pasted it right out of the article itself. This is what the public affairs paper from UCLA states. And Vody Bauckham even states in his book, this is probably the best definition for CRT. Critical race theory recognizes that racism is ingrained in the fabric and system of the American society. The individual racist need not exist to note that institutional racism is pervasive in the dominant culture. This is the analytical lens that CRT uses in examining existing power structures. CRT identifies that these power structures are based on white privilege and white supremacy, which perpetuates the marginalization of people of color. CRT also rejects the traditions of liberalism and meritocracy. 
legal discourse says that the law is neutral and colorblind. However, CRT challenges this legal truth by examining liberalism and meritocracy, or uh, yeah, meritocracy as a vehicle for self-interest, power, and privilege. Let me break that down and give you this. It basically teaches that there are these structures, institution, power structures that exist out there, and that they were built and stay built and stay as they are because of white privilege. And that the reason they are based the way they are and they're structured the way they are is because those who are in power are self-motivated to keep the status quo. That is, that's basically what critical race theory says. And it is the job of those who promote critical race theory to blow the structures and institutions and the education system up in order to have what they want to have. If you're understanding that, say amen. That was a weak amen. I know, that, I know this is a lot, but that's what it is. Now, intersectionality. Raise your hand if you've heard that one. That's the I after CRT, intersectionality. Okay. Let me give you... Now, when, now Vody does not use this definition in his book. Actually, from that public affairs paper, this is where I got it. This is the next paragraph. Intersectionality within CRT points to the multi-dimensionalization, uh, excuse me, multi-dimensionality of oppressions and recognizes that race alone cannot account for disempowerment. Intersectionality means the examination of race, sex, class, national origin, and sexual orientation on how their combination plays out in various settings. This is an important tenet in pointing out that CRT is critical of the many oppressions facing people of color and does not allow for one-dimensional approach of the complexities of our world. Basically saying this, that they add the eye on to CRT because basically anybody can be oppressed. Anybody. They put that on there. doesn't matter your color, but your sex, your gender, your gender orientation, your job. Listen, I'm oppressed. I'm five foot seven. I'm oppressed by gravity. That's not fair. I, I don't want anything to do with gravity anymore. I, now, I know I'm being facetious, but that's the problem. So, basically, what intersectionality adds to CRT is that anybody can be oppressed to a degree. So, these are the definitions. Now, with all that stated and with all this, the, the key is, is that critical race theory and intersectionality added on to that as a caveat because it opens it up just past color, is that they're teaching a new worldview. Now, what is a worldview? A worldview is a point of view or gives us an understanding and helps us interpret the world in which we live. We as believers in Jesus Christ, we have a worldview. We have a biblical Christian worldview. And our biblical Christian worldview helps us to understand the world in which we live. We understand the world through the lens of Scripture and how God tells us how we ought to function and operate and think and live. Amen? That's what the Bible teaches us. And as far as I can tell you, the biblical Christian worldview is the best worldview, really is the only worldview the world should ever have. It teaches us of the condition of man, that we're all sinners, that we're all in need of a Savior, we all need redemption. And so that is the biblical Christian worldview. 
But the critical race theory intersectionality worldview was saying this, listen, you're oppressed. There are all these structures out here. They're oppressing you. And you don't have to be that way. It doesn't matter just on your skin color. But listen, it, you, it can be your gender, your identity, your sexual orientation, anything, your ethnicity, your language. For whatever reason, you can be oppressed. And you need to rise up and overturn the status quo so that you're not oppressed anymore. So CRT teaches that there are those who are the oppressors and those who are the oppressed. In essence, they are pitting society against one another. And that is what we are dealing with in our culture today. It's amazing that more than 12 months ago, we were not dealing with this. And now we are. My, how far, I mean, how far we have come in this issue. I, I am not talking about, and today, I am not getting into the weeds on uh, police brutality or any other thing that's going on in our culture or police shootings, i.e. on either side of the equation. I am not going to get into the weeds of Black Lives Matter other than to say that all lives matter to God. That is what matters. Those in these social reconstruction groups out here really do not care about the people they say they represent, but care only about themselves to the point that they only care about the agenda in which they are pushing and also that they're trying to get a dollar and a dime for very cheap. And we've already seen that in some of these organizations, how they're stealing money from people. So with that, that is number one. What is critical race theory. Now, number two, why is critical race theory perilous? Why is it perilous? That's number two. Why is CRT perilous? Well, again, because it establishes a new worldview. Again, in his book, Vodibachum says that CRT and I, they're trying to establish a new religion. In essence, it is a religion of sorts. And that's what they want to do. They want to give you a new religion. But they don't have a God there. Yes, their God is there. You have to look at it. But they are trying to establish a new religion. Cosmology is the study, uh, especially in a Christian worldview, of how things begin. So cosmology uh, linked with uh, CT. Now, there's also, so you have critical theory, critical race theory, and intersectionality. So all that, the cosmology is the, the beginning of all things, of how all this begins. They're, they're, they're going to teach you that. That's where critical race theory begins. That's what critical race theory teaches us, how all this began. Original sin deals with racism. Law, anti-racism. The gospel, this is how they preach the gospel. It's through reconcilia uh, racial reconciliation. Martyrs, the martyrs of this new faith are people like Trayvon, Trayvon Martin, uh, people like George, George Brown, and Brianna Taylor. The priests uh, of this new religion are the, uh, the oppressed minorities. The means of atonement comes through reparations. The new birth is wokeness. My gosh, how many of you are tired about hearing about people being woke? Really, they're still asleep. And we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, there, there is wokeness. Liturgy is lament. Their canon is the critical social justice and also social science. Their theologians, names you probably haven't heard of, uh, D'Angelo, Kendi, Brown, Crenshaw, and McIntosh. Those are the theologians, those who came up with critical race theory back in the late 80s and early 90s in PhD papers. Their catechisms, just say their names. All you got to do is start saying Trayvon Martin and, and, and uh, 
uh, George Floyd, excuse me, and Breonna Taylor, and that's the catechism that they do. So this is a new religion. But did you notice in this new religion that I missed out one point? There's one thing in this new religion, according to Vody Bauckham, and, and I agree with my brother in Christ, my, uh, the scholar here, there's one thing that this new re religion leaves completely out. Because most religions and most faith-based uh, thinking has at least this concept in there, soteriology. Soteriology is the study of salvation. In any belief group in the world, be it whatever it is, there is always a way in order to get saved. But not so in the new religion of critical race theory. You cannot be saved. Uh, you, you can have the gospel so to speak, but there's no way to change. Do you understand that? What the gospel of Jesus Christ and salvation teaches us is that, listen, you don't have to stay the same. If you believe in Jesus, he changes you from the inside out. But critical race theory wants you to stay the same, to keep things separated, to keep things so that they can have the control that they want to have and to keep people in the lives that they want them to be placed. There's no salvation in critical race theory and therein lies one of the major problems. Okay. If you're still with me, say amen. All right. How many of you feel like your gerbil has fallen off the wheel in your brain? Don't raise your... Okay. Again, there is no salvation of this theory, but just perpetual penance forever. Because you can never get past what you've done wrong. You can't get past it. So you have to always be in penance. You have to always pay. You have to always give. It's never enough. That's why this whole thing is perilous. But you want to know the real problem with critical race theory? What is critical race theory? Why is it so perilous? This isn't the first time humanity has ever seen critical race theory. Critical race theory is actually seen in Scripture. This isn't the first time humanity has seen critical race theory. It's actually in the Bible. Not that the Bible is a proponent of it because it's not, but it is in the Bible. Raise your hand if you want to know where. Go to Isaiah chapter 14. There's two places where I thought, folks, listen, when I was finishing up the sermon last night, I mean, this hit me like a lightning bolt right out of heaven. And when, and when I realized this, I immediately texted Pastor Brandon. The next thing he texted was his head exploding in the thing because it's like, wow. But it's in Scripture. Isaiah chapter 14. Go to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah 14. You see it right here out of Scripture. Isaiah 14, verse 12. Isaiah 14, verse 12, is the fall of Lucifer from heaven. And I'm going to explain to you, this is the first instance in creation of critical race theory. Are you ready? Okay. Isaiah writes, so the fall of Lucifer. Now, the fall of Lucifer is also seen in the book of Revelation, chapter 12 or chapter 13. And as that's one of those non-chronological passages, if you're keeping up with the study of Revelation, you know what I mean when I say non-chronological, non-time passage, where Satan is cast out of heaven. But here, this is the first instance of it being mentioned in history. 
the fall of Satan, it says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. Excuse me. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven and I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north and I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest pits or to the lowest depths of the pits. Okay, where is it? Again, the oppressed, excuse me, the oppressors, the oppressed. Satan is thinking that God is oppressing him. Satan wants to make his throne above God's throne. Now do you see where we're going? You understand it? So he feels like Satan's like, well, wait a minute. God's sitting up there. He is oppressing me. I deserve to be up there. Do you see it now? That's what they're teaching in critical race theory. You have the haves and the have-nots. Satan didn't have, and he wanted what God had. And so he said, listen, no, I'm going to ascend. I'm going to take from God what belongs to him. He goes, so I, I'm going to take. That is what critical race theory teaches. It teaches the, there are those who are oppressing and those who are being oppressed. And Satan felt like he was being oppressed. Satan felt like God was keeping from him what Satan believed in his heart that he deserved. Did Satan deserve anything? No, not at all. Satan, my stars. He was the one that, as we believe, led the angelic choirs in the worship of God. How many of you have ever gone to a, a symphony or seen a really good church choir? And you're listening to the choir, but who else do you watch? You watch the conductor, right? I mean, they're up there doing this and, I mean, whatever else. And they're getting into it. You watch the, I mean, that in itself has a little bit of prominence. But for Satan, it wasn't enough. He felt oppressed. He felt that the structure God put in place oppressed him. And what did God do? He excommunicated him right out of heaven. Not only did Satan believe that, but a third of the angelic host, we know, believed it as well. Do you see it there? It is right there in black and white. If you follow me, say amen. And I don't think I'm stretching the text here. It is there. But there's another place where you see it in Scripture. There's another place. There's another place. Genesis chapter 3. Go to Genesis chapter 3 and let me show you. It is right here. Folks, listen, last night when I was finishing up and this hit me, I'm like, holy cow. You know, don't say that in India, but I did a lot when I was there. Some of you will get that in a minute. If you don't get it, I'll see you at Chick-fil-A this afternoon. Some of you caught it, making sure. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, I'm not going to read all of Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 is where Satan comes to the garden and he tempts Adam and Eve. Now in essence, the whole conversation goes a little bit like this. And let me read to you. Well, let's just start up in verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than, uh, than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat, or it says, excuse me, you shall not eat of every tree in the garden. Now again, Satan will take truth and add a little bit to it. God did tell them they could eat of every tree in the garden, but one. But he says right here, but you shall not eat of every tree. He says, no, God told you you couldn't eat of any tree. No, that's not what God said. 
And so she replied, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. There's the structure. Do you see it? The structure. You have the structure in the Garden of Eden. God is God, man is man, and here's the structure. You can have everything in the garden but one tree. Do you see the structure? That's the structure. That's the institutional system that God set up for Adam and Eve in the garden. And Satan slides in, old slewfoot dragon, the, the, the dragon of old Satan himself says, well, wait a minute, I don't like that structure. I dealt with it before, but now God has put me here and I'm the God of this world. Let me teach you what God really says. See, Adam and Eve didn't know any better, but Satan is teaching Adam and Eve God is the oppressor and they are what? The oppressed. That God is withholding something from them, what is due their name, what is due to them. Uh, then the serpent in verse 4 said to the woman, you shall not surely die, for God knows that in that day that you eat, uh, uh, that you eat it, uh, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You know what he's saying? That those who are in power want to keep power because of the privilege they have? Do you, do you see it right there? Critical race theory. Serpent tells Eve, listen, God doesn't want you to be like him. He wants to oppress you and to keep you exactly where you are. There's the structure and the institutional things using power and privilege to maintain the status quo. Right here in Genesis chapter 3. Why is critical race theory so perilous? Because it comes from Satan and his heart and from the pit of hell. That's why critical race theory is so dangerous. And what people need to understand is that when they start following this googly gawk and junk and whatever else, that the, all they're doing are following lies from Satan. That's exactly what critical race theory is. It comes right out of Isaiah 14, 12 through 15 and right out of Genesis chapter 3. And it is perilous because Satan begins to twist the truth a little bit. He, he, gives you, he gives you enough truth to make it sound like it is truth, begins to change it a little bit. Just as we saw, did God tell you that you could not eat of every tree in the garden? No, that's not what God said. God said that we could eat of every tree in the garden, but one. There's the structure. God's the oppressor. They're the oppressed. Just eat it. If you'll do it, you'll be like God. They'll change. They'll be better. But what happened and the first, in regards to creation and Adam and Eve, what happened when they ev evidently bit into critical race theory? Did their life get better or worse? Got worse. No good. That's what critical race theory will do. It'll make life worse. And hello, isn't that the case today? Now, let's move on because I'm done with that. So, number three on your outline. Here it is. What is new creation race theory? New creation race theory, folks. That's what you and I are. We are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. This is what the Bible is wanting us to know. This is how we combat critical race theory. We combat critical race theory with Scripture because Scripture is telling us now no longer... Are we held to that? But we are a new creation. We are a new creation so much that we are a, a new race. We're no longer the same, but we are different. 
So you have critical race theory. When remember I told you that, excuse me, with, with critical race theory, you have the I intersectionality. So with new creation race theory, there's a C, NCRT and then C. What is, what is the C? Connectionality. I don't, my computer said, listen, you made up a word. That word does not compute. It's not in the dictionary. It wasn't there. And so I'm hoping that Merriam-Webster's dictionary contacts me and we get that word added into the dictionary on connectionality. My claim to fame, I guess, I don't know, but I mean, y'all can sit there, but yeah, so we have new, critical, uh, new creation race theory and connectionality. But where are we seeing this and why is this important to understand what new creation race theory is? Verse 16 of 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5, this was the text that we're in. Notice what it says, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Hello, then if we regard no one according to the flesh, keep reading, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. So now, through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul says, listen, don't regard anyone to the, by the flesh anymore. Well, let me just kind of break that down to you. Quit looking at skin color and ethnicity and anything of like that. We don't regard anybody that way anymore. In the new creation race theory, there are two camps. There are those who belong to God and those who do not belong to God. And our job, as you'll get to in a little, little in, in just a moment, is to get those in the camp that who do not belong to God into the camp of those who do belong to God. And there is a big difference. So yet now we, we don't need to regard anyone any longer according to the flesh, but we look at the inside. And that's what we need to be doing. As we go out here and we see people, quit looking at skin color, at height, and how much wealth they have, how much education they have, and look at the heart. Where do they stand before holy God? Do they stand right with him because they believed in the Son, or do they stand outside of him because yet they have not yet believed in him whatsoever at all? We, we, we see this. Go down to verse 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, here it is, he is a new creation. Folks, I didn't come up with new, critical, uh, new creation race theory on my own. It's right out of the words of God. Look what it says. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I told you that sometimes new things aren't always the best. In this regard, the new thing is always the best way. Is the best way. So what is it that we look like? What is it that one day that we will look like? Uh, how does this new creation look? 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. John in his epistle uh, to the church at Ephesus says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. That, that's true. They don't understand us because they're still holding to critical race theory they have for all these centuries and all these millennia. And yet we're here telling them, listen, there's a new way, new creation race theory. Verse 2, beloved, now we are children of God. And if it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, Christ is revealed, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. What are we going to be like one day? And the, at, at, um, at the ultimate conclusion of everything, what will we be like? We will be just like Jesus in body, mind, and spirit. We'll have his body. Well, what did his body do? Well, his body was 
was able to pass through matter. And even though it was a spiritual body, he was able to eat. Amen. Praise the Lord. No more having to worry about dieting or running six miles every day. Thank you, Jesus. I just run on Glory Golden Boulevard down to the throne of God, worship him, go back over to the heavenly Golden Corral buffet and eat all that I want and not have to worry about gaining an ounce. Amen. How many of you, that's your type of heaven? Woo. Praise the Lord. Amen. It's getting hot up here. Is the AC on? Anyways. But we're told that we're going to have this new spiritual body. Spiritual body, that's an oxymoron. How can you have a body and be spiritual or be spiritual and have a body? Paul says it here in 1 Corinthians, his first letter to the church at Corinth. He says that we are going to get this spiritual body. I'm not going to read all of that, but you can go back to verses 42 through 49 of 1 Corinthians 15. So it's a new creation. Junk, critical race theory and I, CRT and I, and, and do new creation race theory and see connectionality. Where does that connect? Just think about the word connect. Comes into play here. Folks, listen, the connectionality is salvation through Jesus Christ. CRT has no way to save people, but new creation race theory and connectionality absolutely does. Why? Not because I thought of it. It's the Bible. The Bible has always taught that. What is the mission of our church? You know what I heard? Let's all say it on the count of three. One, two, three. And why do we want to connect Jesus with Orlando? So that the people in this city, in this community, can experience salvation through Jesus Christ. The day that you got saved, you got connected to God. How did you get connected to God? You got connected to God because you received the Holy Spirit. You received the Holy Spirit, Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption uh, as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the, here it is, the spirit of his son into your hearts. And because now we have the Spirit of His Son, the Holy Spirit in us, we cry out, Abba, Father. There's the connection. The day that you got saved, the Holy Spirit took permanent and eternal residence in your heart and in your soul, and you are connected now with the Father. There's not a place you can go, and there's not a thing that you can do that would ever want to make the Holy Spirit leave you. Amen? Because I know from the day that I got saved until now, I have done a lot of mess-ups. But thank goodness, he has never left me high and dry. Amen? And so, we have this. We have this blessed hope and promise. Critical race theory wants to divide. But thanks be to God that new creation race theory and connectionality wants to unite people. Wants to unite them one in the Father, Son, and Spirit and want to unite people here. They'll know us by our love. It is amazing that the church of Jesus Christ is comprised of people from... The, the word in, in Scripture, we use the word nation. It's actually ethnos, it's ethnicities. People of different ethnic backgrounds. Um, different tongues. Different tribes. It's amazing. When I was in seminary, the registrar... For our seminary, he was Jewish or was once a Jew. Now he's a Messianic Jew. He's a believer. It's amazing. One of his best friends on campus used to be a Muslim. 
And now he's a believer in Jesus. And you would see the two of them there standing side by side, worshiping the one God and the only person that can bring them together on this side of glory, Jesus Christ. It's the connectionality. It's bringing people together. Critical race theory wants to separate. New creation race theory wants to bring people together. And people are brought together by one way. Notice in verse 18, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That in verse 19, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed uh, to us the word of reconciliation. Folks, listen, it gets down to point number four. And this is where the connectionality comes in. Point number four is this. Why is in, uh, a new critical, excuse me, new creation race theory promising? It's the only thing that shares the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the only thing in verse 20. Now then, since Christ was reconciling the world back to himself and the Father, and now that we are reconciled back to the Father through Jesus Christ, because we have that, it is now our job. This is the why new creation race theory is so promising. Now it is our job. In verse 20, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, be connected back with God. Satan divided us from the Father. We were one with him. We were made in the image of God. And yet he divided that through critical race theory in the Garden of Eden. Do you see it there? Critical race theory didn't happen just 30-some years ago. It happened almost 6,000 years ago. And he divided us from the Father. But yet Christ now has reconciled us and is reconciling the world back to himself. That if we believe in him, we'll be reconciled, connected back with God. And now that we are who are the believers of God, we have been reconciled, connected back. We are now the ambassadors. We have the glorious responsibility of going out. You don't have to do this anymore. Critical race theory is from Satan. It's a lie. It's always been there. But let's tell you the best way. New creation race theory. Who doesn't want something new? Be a new creation in Christ. And let's share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ so they can experience what we have experienced. We just share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the ultimate thing out of all this, verse 20, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We're a new race. We're, we're a new creation. New creation, race theory, and connectionality. Stand up to what's being said and spoken in the secular world. You have the truth on your side. Not a truth, not part of a truth, the truth. Tell it to those who need to hear it. Go out here tomorrow and say, hey, have you heard of NCRT? They'll look at you like you just fell off the truck. Have you heard of connectionality? Like you just made that up. No, my pastor did. They'll tune you out probably like that, but tell them, listen, critical race theory just wants to divide us. But new creation race theory wants to unite us. And tell them what it means. Let me close with this little story. 
kind of bring everything together. All human beings are equally created in the image and likeness of God. God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to lay down his life for us. The world obviously includes every ethnic, tribe, and tongue groups in the world. The person who wrote this illustration says this, I like to use the following illustration, which works as well with adults as it does with adolescents and children. He brings in a bowl, a mason jar, and two eggs. One egg is white, the other egg is brown. Holding both eggs up, he asks the students what he has in his hands. He'll get a variety of answers. They're eggs. No, there's a white egg. Nope, there's a brown egg. They'll be able to say that. You're holding an egg, you're holding a brown egg, you're holding a white egg, whatever. He takes the eggs and he uh, takes it and cracks it on the mason jar and puts both the contents of the eggs in. He stirs it all up, holds up the mason jar, and then says this. Now I hold up the jar and ask everyone to tell me which egg came from which shell. God is not partial. He sees everybody the same. And he wants them to be a new creation in his son. May we go out and teach them the truth, new creation race theory and connectionality. With every head bowed and no one looking around, Maybe you this morning came in with a predisposition of a different understanding of CRT and I. Or maybe you were here for one purpose or another. But after hearing the truth, you realize that if you're a believer here this morning, I'm going to talk to the home crowd, to the church family. If you're a believer in Christ this morning, don't forget that you're a new creation. God did such a work in your lives and mine that he didn't remake us, he didn't renovate us, he didn't reuse anything of the old person we used to be, but he made us a new creation in Christ. And for me this morning, I am happy about that. I'm a new creation. What the world says doesn't matter. What God says does. So for the church family this morning, maybe you want to come down to the altar and just worship God and say, Lord, thank you. I'm a new creation in Christ. If you're visiting here today or you're here and you know that if you were to close your eyes in death and you know that you're not 100% sure that you would see Jesus when you die, I want to talk to you this morning. See, critical race theory teaches people that they need to be woke. New creation race theory teaches you need to be awakened.
awaken to be alive in Christ. And you can if you would just believe in Jesus this morning. The gospel is very simple. Jesus came to change us, to make us one, to connect us back with the Father. And so this morning, if you know, if you're not sure that you will see Jesus when you die, let me speak to you and say, listen, you need Jesus Christ in your life. You need to understand that you're a sinner. You've done nothing good to merit salvation. And also, too, that you're a sinner, meaning that you have done everything against God. And that Jesus loved you so much that he came and he died for you. As 2 Corinthians 5 says, that he made Christ, the Father made Christ who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God. That if you would believe in Jesus and that you would ask him to forgive you of, his, of your sins, Jesus will take your sins as if it were his. And then he will give you his righteousness as if it had always belonged to you. And then you just commit and confess to live for him all the days of your life. You confess him to be the Lord and you commit to live for him all the days of your life. And so my friend, if that's you this morning and you need this Jesus in your heart and mind, will you pray this prayer from your heart to God's heart and he'll save you right now. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I do not deserve to go to heaven or to see you face to face, but because you loved me so much, you desired not to leave me this way. So I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that you died for me and gave me your righteousness and you took my sin. And that three days later, you rose from, in, from a tomb to give me eternal life. So I confess you to be my Lord and Savior and I'll commit to live for you all the days of my life. Now with every head and every eye closed, if you prayed that prayer, you're a child of God. And I want you to do something for me in just a moment. Our counselors are gonna make their way here to their positions where they are here at the end of our aisles. And if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, as we begin to sing this song here, just as I am in just a moment, you're going to walk down the aisle and come and speak to one of these counselors and say, listen, I just chose to choose Jesus as my Savior. And they're going to help you and walk you through what you did so that you understand, understand your decision this morning. Maybe for you, you're visiting our church. Our church is about Jesus and nothing more, nothing less. We're not about critical race theory or intersectionality, and we're definitely not woke. But we are all about new creation, race theory, connectionality, and awaken. Because we are awake in Jesus Christ. And so if the Lord is leading you here to unite with our church, come during this song and speak to one of the counselors. Say, listen, I want to join downtown Baptist Orlando. Or maybe you need to be baptized. You come down and speak to one of them and they'll get your information. So that's our invitation this morning. So Father in heaven, lead us, guide us, move us to respond to you. And may we be, always be obedient to what you're leading us to do. For we ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name and God's precious people said, amen. Would you stand, would you sing, would you respond this morning?